Hello and welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. And the June trailer just dropped, the most important thing, this is the most important bit of news, obviously <laughs> nothing else matters. Um, we haven't podded for a while because I've been sitting in quiet contemplation awaiting the June trailer and I'm... <laughs> Where's the colours, where are the hats? Um, if you're gonna rank, yeah. if you're gonna rate a Dune film based on the quality of hats and absurdity of hand gestures, which is how any Dune fan should rate a Dune film, um, then the Dune miniseries is obviously the best one. Um, <laughs> um, but re- like seriously though, the different houses have developed on different planets, completely independent of each other, and have very dif- different cultures. And they look different, very differently, like the way they dress and even mm. like how they've evolved slightly because they've just gone, you know, they've been separate for fucking an absurd amount of time. And so what they've gone with is different shades of grey and the Harkonnens are bald. <laughs> yeah, it's like the standard, um, the standard like modern sci fi. It's like it's indicating to you that it's serious stuff. Yeah. Like, I watched it, and it's like, hey, it looks, um, it looks pretty, and it's got like, if you are going to have that kind of grey and gritty sci-fi look, I actually kind of like Dennis Villeneuve's other, like, I like, I liked the that Blade Runner twenty forty seven more than I thought I was going to. I haven't seen it. Um, I liked the rival. From you know, the visual sorry. design was just, it was a, a very nice the story, was in, but, um, yeah, it, it, if you're going to go with it, I, I guess that's like one thing to go with. But for me, it feels like. It felt a little bit too hero's journey-y. It felt like a little bit too hopeful. Well, that, like, yeah, that's the thing. The thing is, um, I know is... I'm not going to get the June film I want, which is like mind-bogglingly grind, not depressive, but mind-bogglingly like out of any kind of like micro-human experience because it's all about like the future of the species yeah. matters more than the future of the, the, the kind of welfare of the individual. Like it's, yeah. it's kind of nihilistic and in, in that way, but this feels like, Hey, look at this young kid. He's going to become a superhero. Yeah. Well, the thing is the, to be fair, I'd like, don't want to judge something too harshly on the first trailer. No, it's it's going to be that, two yeah, films. Yeah. And the first half of, the, of June is look at this little kid he's going to become a superhero it's the second yeah. half where it's like oh he's a tyrant and then it's like as it goes further and further into it it's like oh yeah oh yeah um, well it's like he's going to become a tyrant and then it's like oh yeah actually that tyrant was necessary <laughs> yeah yeah but um it's yeah it's I, I I'm not keen on the everything looking kind of the same that being said the worm looked cool I like worms that looked awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so like, I'm, I, I don't like how it looks, but you know, maybe it'll be cool. Maybe my opinion on it, on it was tainted by watching a stupid Q&A with stupid actors. I don't care about <laughs> actors' opinion on the film they're in because they're professional readers. At best, they're professional <laughs> readers. I don't need to hear Jason Momoa's opinion on who is tougher, Carl Drogo or Duncan Idaho, for fuck's sake. Um <laughs> And I don't need to ever see Timothy Chalamet. Maybe that's it. I don't. I don't like Timothy Chalamet. He looks horrible. Why does that always? Why does that always happen? What? Why? Why is has nerd culture like? I know nerd culture has always been who would you know win in a fight between Goku and Superman. Yeah. Like well, I know Goku. nerd culture has always been a yeah been a little bit like that. But like it 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 definitely comes up in things that absolutely don't don't need that. Like I know like like I'm not quite a June nerd, but I was steeped in so much stuff that like came off of Dune mm-hmm. 
Like, you know, like Warhammer 40,000 was always super influenced slash ripped off from Dune. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I've always liked that that kind of stuff. And, like, I've, Dune has always had a lot to say about these huge, these weird biopolitical issues and, and massive things like that. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I It's just another kind of grist for the piece of grist for the mill for, yeah. like culture <laughs> media yeah. well i'm glad they, i'm glad they seem to have replaced you know, jihad with crusade to make it seem nicer <laughs> yeah that was that was odd because we'll like we'll yeah there's, i don't want to judge there's a significant apart amount from the yeah gray. apart from the gray i'm not a keen fan of the gray <laughs> but yeah but yeah so what else yeah. what's, what's been going on so i've had a lot of um i had a fair amount of gray this week uh one of the reasons we didn't record we were going to record a couple of weeks ago and uh, we missed that due to various things. And then I spent the last week in Scotland. I went on holiday for the first time in years, actually. Um, actually went on holiday to, uh, well, I say Scotland, Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, that was a, it was a really nice trip. It was, a, it was very nice to go and see the, uh, the capital of the newly independent <laughs> republic of Ecos. um yeah it was um it was weird because like obviously i mean the fringe if the fringe had been on yeah it would have been over by now um would it is that right oh Oh, yeah i I don't know it would have been over by now yeah it would have been just over though because you would have been been it's always the end of august isn't it you would have been there at the last week last week yeah you would have caught Um, yeah and you know like it obviously wasn't as busy as like films mm-hmm. like uh scenes videos i've seen of of what happens during the fringe yeah um and yeah it was weird it, it was weird because like i i had only ever been to scotland before once like for my uncle's wedding when i was like seven or something mm. and went to glasgow and you go i, I kind of went expecting a different kind of like you expected to feel like another part of the uk that's just different just different enough mm-hmm um, but actually, I didn't feel like that. Like, it, it definitely feels like it's got, it, it, it's going beyond the kind of like regionalism you usually get in in most British places. Yeah. And like, I you know did touristy stuff, went around like museums and and things like that. And you can read some of the kind of the ways that like an official Scottish public culture is forming. Yeah. The way that they describe events in their own history with like the English mostly as antagonists, which is understandable. Yeah. But I don't know if, I mean, I obviously I've got nothing to compare it to, but like, it's definitely a different feel. Well, no, it's, you know, it doesn't have the, was it like, there's a, I think, I think there's all, there's like one military museum in what, in Cardiff. And I think they're going to build a second. <laughs> or maybe I'm wrong on that. But in case feels, you didn't get enough. Yeah. Um, enough of the army. Yeah. But yeah, they 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 very much are like they're they are aware of the fact that they've got an, their own culture which they could use to market their country. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. suppose that. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. Like, no, I mean, like museums are some of the early, usually some of the early sites of like when there's a change in ideology, when there's a, a change in the tone of official public culture. Museums yeah. are often one of the first places that end up uh feeling that so like you have museums in the 70s but as thatcher comes in and thatcherism becomes more kind of ingratiated in Mm. uh british culture you have a lot more kind of like heritage experiences um that don't just seek to present something 
uh, in a glass case, yeah. but that actually have people dressing up as the as the thing at the time. I mean, um, who's the it's Gwyneth Williams, isn't it, who talks yeah. about you know the fact that when the mines in Wales all closed, you had like all the mines closed and you had like mine heritage museums waking yeah. up where you could go and talk to ex recently ex miners about what it was like in the mines. Yeah. Thus condemning it to, you know, the dustbin of history. Like yeah. it becomes history. It becomes something that can't affect the present. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, I, I but even I like down to like, like the showing like the ideology of the time, like um, the Tate modern opening up when in the Blair era, um, yeah. which like, there's very few places that still, f- like I remember that opening and it feeling very Blair. Obviously, the thing that is obviously the perfect example of um, that new Labour stuff is the Millennium Dome, but mm. <laughs> and that eventually mm. became perfect, perfectly Perfection. emblematic, emblematic of everything that is New Labour. And like I definitely noticed um, when the Tories came back in in 2010, mm-hmm. it didn't really feel like an epoch. Uh, first off, it didn't feel like a kind of epoch change. You, he was kind of marketed as like the heir to Blair. He was yeah. going to be a Tory Blair. Yeah. But, well, more Tory Blair. But you got the kind of sense as you, as I saw like museums and you saw like the way that heritage and, and the way that history was presented, there was definitely a movement back to, and I think it still persists, there's definitely a movement back to kind of great man history as opposed mm-hmm. to the kind of popular not necessarily workers history but definitely like popular history that kind of got promoted during the the blair era do you Mm. know what i mean it's a lot more kings and queens it's a lot more large items of spectacle that reflect the history of one particular family or one particular man or one particular group of like old white men definitely as opposed to yeah this kind of um pseudo pseudo popular history you know yeah and yet you still kind of have that a little bit i think in um in scotland especially i mean largely of course it's the celebration of their their bourgeoisie mm-hmm. like their doctors their scientists of whom they have a lot and of whom they lawyers. that seems to be the route that their particular kind of yeah nationalism is is taking mm-hmm. um their particular nationalist history is take is like lauding their bourgeois achievements yeah um but like, I, I didn't really talk to like loads and loads of people, but uh, you know, I chatted with a few people, and um, like there were the usual kind of a lot of English people. I think I probably heard forty percent Scottish accents in the city. Well, that's 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 more than um, I ever hear when I go to the festival. I mean, that's a, that's probably a high. That's a high estimate. Yeah. Um, but you know, you had like various people, like Scottish people, who were like trying to be nice because you know that we were English tourists and that. Yeah. But um. Also, like, not not really being scared about. Yeah, no, I'm Scottish. I'm never going to, um, you know, that I've I have my own like thoughts on on things, and that's my identity. And it's it's rare to hear that, even in kind of regionalism, because regionalism in England never has to deal with that that like dichotomy of being like they're always British and you know uh, yeah. Northumbrian yeah. or whatever, um, and including something that I don't think I've ever seen outside of like. Maybe like a, a, a left-wing circle or, or maybe, you know, left-wing people. Hmm. Not that I don't know that this guy wasn't left-wing. But I met a Yorkshireman who he's, he'd lived in Scotland. He'd moved up to Scotland like 30 years ago, um, who just openly said, no, I have transferred my patriotism to Scotland. <laughs> I don't consider myself English anymore. Nice. Like, I don't even particularly like it in England. I don't like going over the like back over the border. <laughs> 
because I like it so much better here. And it's like that's something I've never heard out of like no, like is... a nor- a normal person. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's it's, not like it's, someone who was specifically trying to no, not be contrarian, a, but like be shocking with their like anti anti nationalism or whatever. It's especially different in well, for like in a that's kind of common in like satellite countries like um like Australia or Canada <clears throat> or America. Oh yes, no, that's true. That's true. But Scotland yeah. isn't that. Um, <clears throat> but it is kind of interesting that you know that. Yeah, that people would do. It was that. just the way he. T- it's the way he talked about it. Like mm. he was absolutely like a proud Scotsman. Yeah. In that way of like he hadn't even tried to work out how he hadn't even tried to like explain or negotiate his way around it. He was just like bald faced out there, like no, I'm I'm Scottish now. Yeah. You know, and that that like mechanism of being able to feel like that and being able to be feel accepted, like you transferred that over. You're right. It is more common in. Um, in obviously it's racialized as well, but it's, it's more common in, in settler countries. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I've just never ever heard of like an English person in still within the UK doing that, you know? Yeah, yeah, maybe no, not even Ireland. I don't think I've ever, no, I've ever seen that. No, mm-hmm. uh, so what I wanted to talk about this week mainly, um, was there's been quite a few stories on a similar kind of law and order theme. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, I mean, most recently we've had the uh, a lot of noise about cracking down on Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. Um, last so week they good thing ever. I, I couldn't believe it when I was uh, reading the news that I was reading the news because they blocked freedom of speech. <laughs> so I'm not even sure how I was able to know the news about the fact that they had blocked the news. <laughs> um, it, it was kind of galling that this is the best thing they've ever done. And it's possibly one of the best things, one of the best direct actions that have happened in a long time. <laughs> the, and then the, the best next thing day was, they went back to doing their plastic bag dances. <laughs> the, well, I mean, uh, you know, I get that it's quite a like fragmented group, but yeah. one of the uh, right wing papers, um, like attack lines, was uh, XR stunt could lose their millionaires backers, <laughs> lose their millionaire backers, and it's like, well, it's because. They can't avoid the fact, they can't present it as a, a popular movement. Mm-hmm. They have to say that it's shady and elitist and it's just evil billionaires funding <laughs> <laughs> funding a political action, which when would that ever happen otherwise? Yeah. Uh, but they also have to like say it as if it's going to be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Like this constant, I love it when they report on these kind of things because it's always like, look, even if you try to do a demonstration, it will always be counterproductive. It's always nothing. Because, has, when they roll out the, the, like the, whoever the current batch of supposedly left-wing voices in the press are like, you know, like your O'Brien's and that school of person. And they're like, yeah, I supported them. But even, but in this, I, they've just gone too far. And they've always got someone around to say that. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the response to this was um, a lot of noise about um, from the government briefing, mainly floating the idea of like cracking down on Extinction Rebellion as, quote, an organised crime group. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, Prince the, Patel... Like, I like the idea of the organised crime. So what were they going to pretend... What, okay. So organised crime is they're organised mm. to make... You know, they're organised criminal activity to make money. How are they making mm. their money? Are they going to... Like, to be fair, if Extinction Rebellion set themselves up, like, rebranded as an old-timey, like, protection racket against, against <laughs> like, the newspapers, that would be funny. 
Like, you can't sell papers in this town. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> but you know, what nice is... diesel, nice diesel engine you've got there. You know <laughs> where you are, boy. <laughs> um, well, Pretty Patel um, made a speech to the Police Superintendents Association mm. uh, describing Extinction Rebellion as an emerging threat. She said it was attempting to thwart the media's rights to publish without fear nor favour, which is unbelievable considering what the Tories had threatened to do to things like Channel 4. Well, yeah, when was the last time they talked to Channel 4 or Newsnight? Yeah, they still still haven't. Yeah. Um, They claimed, uh, she said that their campaign of civil disobedience was a shameful attack on our way of life, our economy, and the livelihoods of the hard-working majority. It's just the same old... I saw that old woman, that old woman who tripped on a manhole. That's our way of life, that is. Old women get in the paper and not tripping (laughs) on manholes. That is literally on the flag. I mean, the single reason why you shouldn't let the world burn is because that woman uh, who owned a newsagent had to sack all her paper boys, apparently. Love all her paper paper boys are girls. <laughs> which is like, did you? Did you really? That's That seems to be more on you. I haven't seen <laughs> like, a, like, I haven't seen, like, there are people who like, deliver the free papers. None of them seem like little paper boys or paper girls on their little bikes. Yeah. <laughs> And um, was that yeah. one day of sales enough that they had to sack them? Like one day of delayed sales enough that that was it? They're gone. Hugh, we can talk about sales and circulation figures. And also, Do not look at the circulation figures. Also, we can talk about figures all day long, but freedom of speech <laughs> is priceless. Also, if you don't sell your paper, say you've got a corner shop and you don't sell your, um, say like your twenty copies of the mail that day, aren't don't isn't there like a thing where you send it back and they give you the money? I'm pretty certain. Uh, do you get? Can you get a refund I'm, on the news? I'm, well, yeah, but you know, you <laughs> know you've I mean. read it now. <laughs> no, but I'm pretty certain that they can do that. So I'm not even certain that news agents were that hard hit. I imagine, like everything else, like of that era, like mm. like beer or like pubs, they're mm. probably all like enthralled to a particular like, newspaper. Yeah. You know, they're probably enthralled to a particular like publisher or printer or something. Oh, yeah, probably. Um, yeah, and uh, Pretty Patel said, "Together, we must all stand firm against the guerrilla tactics of <laughs> Extinction Rebellion." <laughs> they are um, oh. the Extinction Rebellion. You know, they move through the population like a fish swims through the stream <laughs> on the well, long, clown, the long Extinction Rebellion fish. march. Yeah, <laughs> yes, like a clownfish. <laughs> Like, I mean, look, I, you know, I've talked a lot of shit about Extinction Rebellion, and I think so many branches of their, like, for a start, like, we've talked about their central tenet of, like, was it getting 8% of the population in prison, which will <laughs> for automatically um, cause the downfall of this system? Yeah, which... writing apology letters to the police explaining why you did your crime. That was another Fucking... good one. Say what you want about kind of, you know, vulgar Marxism or whatever. There's nothing on that. <laughs> um, and, you know, they've set up their their political, their well, oh, no, their anti-political party, that Beyond Politics thing. We'll probably cover that in the future at some yeah, point because it's really fucking hilarious. Yeah. But, I mean, you know when, like, politicians talk in terms of organised crime and, mm. you know, free society and the, the Great Wall mm. against, you know, anarchism, yeah. you know that they're preparing for some kind of, like, law and order crusade. Yeah. And you know that they're not going to be particularly picky about their targets. It's mm. going to be demonstrators, non-parliamentary political opposition, minority groups, things like that. 
I didn't see her and saying much about those people. Um, those people blockading Do- like down near Dover. Ah, uh, you see, they were patriotic. They were patriotic. Yeah, I mean that that's that that kind of selection. I mean, it's yeah. not even this isn't even a particularly new phenomenon. Like no, picking on things, it's happened in the seventies. Yeah. You know, dividing between good moderate trade unions and extremists, mm-hmm. i.e., ones who stroke uh, who went on strike. Mm-hmm. Um, but given this kind of rhetoric, I mean, and given Extinction Rebellions, like their whole thing is that eventually, if enough people get arrested and enough people do civil disobedience, then the government will have to negotiate. This yeah. has always been something I've had a kind of weird problem with because you know that they're not going to. But considering like Extinction Rebellion's kind of anti-political stance on things, yeah. measures like this from the government and rhetoric like this from the government are about putting political opposition beyond politics. They're trying to kick them into the realm of law because yeah. law's not negotiable, law's yeah. coercive, and it's explicitly supposed to deny the fact that uh, a group like Extinction Rebellion are something to that the state should be like forced into negotiating with or forced into taking seriously at all. Once you kick it into the realm of law, that's it. That's that's where they lie. They, there's no there's no political stuff. It's just law and order stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another thing that happened um, in July that I've been waiting for ages to talk about, but just because we haven't really managed to get onto it. Mm. Um, there was a report about, and this has happened probably every year for the last ten years. Yeah. Um, talking about changing the treason laws. Mm-hmm. So there was a report in July that uh, the Tory government were going to give um, Britain's treason laws the biggest shake-up since 1695 in a bid to counter the growing threat of hostile states like Russia and China. This yeah. was in the, the Guardian. Um, they would. This would see a new Treason Act a new, and a new Espionage Act to track foreign agents and influencers, influencers um, and a rewriting of the Official Secrets Act to make it fit for the digital era. Um, Are they going to say I'm a traitor would... because I prefer like rice to mashed potatoes? Yes. Well, obviously, I'm siding with the Chinese. Uh, well, they don't need a new law for that, Hugh. You're going to prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is largely in response to kind of uh, the Shamima Begum thing yep. and also in response to the Russia report. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's largely kind of closing what they see as a legal loophole which is we don't seem to be able to prosecute british citizens who do stuff we don't like enough um and it would be like to do things like swearing allegiance to a foreign power or an organization Mm. um there's not really been anything kind of properly out of it um but like this has come up every kind of every kind of few years and there's some like stuff uh there's some stuff raised in Parliament, and you know you'll see it. I actually saw it today circulating around when um, on Twitter when someone was talking about the withdrawal agreement being broken, um, and somebody asking, doing the usual Twitter thing of the argument between leavers of remainers of like, well, Brexit, what did you vote for? And some leaver going, oh yeah, I voted in or out, and also you know we should have a chance to beef up our treason laws. Yeah, this has always been a kind of kind of bent noir of the of the far right that they yeah. should be allowed to execute people who annoy them yeah um ironically it's that kind of sounds quite similar to it sounds like quite putinist mm-hmm. um in that i think the main kind of focus is on like basically russian and chinese kind of groups tv stations and ngos which of course is something that putin um 
changed the treason laws on for uh, in Russia yeah. to um, require like NGOs to register and for them to be able to be expelled from the country with no kind of um, legal legal ramifications. Mm. Uh, I mean, originally, like the beefing up of the treason laws was um, recommended by Sajid Javid, who was then Home Secretary, back in long ago in 2019. And it's just every, like, like I say, every couple of years, some Home Secretary will say, we've, we're facing new threats. We've got these new foreign powers who are trying everything to bring down our way of life yeah. by storing large amounts of money offshore in our bank accounts. <laughs> and uh, we need to do something about it. Not anything about that. It's, um, um, it's, it's the next logical step, isn't it? Like the, all the, the energy that went into Brexit, after that, yeah. those people... Those same kind of people are going to be the. It's like what's they're going to be their next cause, and it's it's always going to be you know treason and let's have the death penalty back. It's been a common thing actually linking up with the extinction rebellion thing. It's a really really common thing, particularly I haven't seen anything with extinction rebellion particularly, but with um, Black Lives Matter especially, mm. of calling it an American import. Yeah. Of saying, oh, we never had any problem until Black Lives Matter came over the sea. Oh yeah, when they start talking <laughs> and about how did our Ameri- society, like essentially, the American blacks have riled up our blacks, and in mm. Britain, we never had a problem with slavery. <laughs> I've heard that so <laughs> many times on LBC. It's insane. I mean, I, I won't disagree. The British have never had any problem <laughs> with slavery. Yeah. Um, in fact, very few negatives at all. Um, but yeah, there's like there's also like that kind of thing where when they say foreign, foreign intelligence services, foreign yeah. they they don't mean the US, do they? No, they don't mean uh, like the Israeli. They don't mean the Saudis. No, you know. So it's kind of that thing of yeah, it's it's just beefing up that response to Britain's own foreign policy choices. Mm. You know, I mean, short of completely, and like aside from anything, short of completely cutting off like Russian and Chinese elites from British commerce, which is not going to happen, Huawei no. or Russia report be damned. Yeah. Like, in what way, like the only way the British state is going to avoid selling off its like remaining assets to Russian or Chinese buyers is to sell them to American buyers. Yeah. That's kind of, that's what it, it's 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 going on you know and yeah because i i assume that a british mercenary contracted to the saudi royal guard to teach them how to fire missiles into yemen yeah i assume they're not going to be prosecuted under this no no you know? no 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 that's fine uh, they're yeah. gonna do they'll do letters of mark do you know what i mean like hmm. they'll be like different they'll be mercenary com- they'll be private military contractors who are given um a, a letter from the government to be you're allowed to do things for other countries. Do you know what I mean? I mean that kind of already that kind of already happens. I mean they're lent out on a kind of semi um semi official basis. Yeah but they'll make it more they'll make it more clear. So like if so like you know like the people who went over to fight against ISIS with the Kurds? Hmm. They'll make it so the people who go who went off to do to do that will be one hundred percent you are a wrong un. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like They'll it will catch all of them if you know what I mean. Like anyone who, but, it's um you hear it all the time with um there's, oh it's Majid Nawaz's favorite thing is like violent. He says violence is the purview of the state and it, only the state should be allowed to do it. Jesus Christ! I, I know. Um, 
which is I mean, like, terrifying. Yeah, like, but um, that's that, that's the like should. the liberal want, and like I know he's yeah, not that the... much of a liberal, but he is a lib dem. Yeah, remove the should, and like, like he's not, he's not like if it was just a term of analysis, he's not entirely wrong. No. But I feel like that sounds like a recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. a stricture. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming if uh, if they do kind of crack down on uh, British people going to fight in um, civil wars abroad, I'm assuming we can get another impassioned speech about the international brigades from whichever Labour cunt <laughs> wants to get up and dare soil his mouth <laughs> with the names of the people who went off to fight Franco. Um, who was it? It was uh, Hillary Benn, wasn't it? He was the one. Was he? He was. He. He. Do you remember? Uh, when was it? It was just before the Syria vote that I think Cameron lost. Yeah. Um, where Corbyn won, like Corbyn won the. No, won it was the vote. Ed Miliband. Um, was it? Was it, was it Ed Miliband? Yeah, it was Ed Miliband. No, no, no. It was definitely under Corbyn. It was definitely like sure, 2016 no, I, well, oh, or okay, Libya, maybe, maybe, maybe something maybe, like that. Maybe, oh, maybe it was Libya because I remember the, um, um, the Syria one because I remember that was when um, that was when our MP complained about having. Um, violent activists outside of her office, like causing a scene, and it was like oh, a bunch of yeah. mums and crams. Yeah, but no, it was the Hillary Benn speech about oh, yeah. the fine labour traditions yeah. of uh, the international brigades, and it's like fucking <laughs> just no. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, and th- the third kind of story that like links in with this same this, this similar theme. Um, last week, uh, the government announced that they're going to extend detention times for people arrested for serious crimes. So Which, while the courts recover from... Sorry, Karen. Is that their, ex- their excuses because of, you know, courts recovering from Rona? It's, they were basically saying that because courts haven't been able to open during the Rona, hmm. um, that they're going to introduce temporary legislation that the period of time that accused persons could be held before a trial will be increased from 182 days to 238 days. Um, at the moment, this is for um, serious offenders, um, so those who would go to a Crown Court so rather say, than magistrate's so say court. Someone, say someone was like a prominent public official and he mm. was accused of um, mm. sexual assault, say. Okay, right. Um, and let's would he, let's would he, take this hypothetical. <laughs> would he be okay? Would he be allowed to go into work and vote, even though he said he didn't go to work? Um, you see that that supposedly yeah. he went into vote. I did, I'm not going to yeah. say his name just in case I get in trouble. But everyone knows. How name. do you know it's a he? That's, well, it's a Tory. They say it was a Tory man in there. Like it was. Like, oh, yeah, it, was okay. it was a Tory <laughs> man who's like a like who's anywhere. Who's got that that Tory complexion where it could be anywhere from twenty five to a thousand. Well, I don't know because when that news came out, like I love a good, I love a what, what's that? What was that game where you used to have to flip down the thing based oh, on the description who. of their face? Guess who? Yeah, mm. I always loved Guess Who. Um, and so as soon as the the kind of categories came out, I was like scrolling through all the Tory MPs. <laughs> like, all right, they're in their fifties. A man. Uh, <laughs> this thing happened in Hackney, uh, so it's probably a reasonably close MP. Probably have a house in London. <laughs> Mm, okay, let's get off this because we are going to get. Yeah, so that for the this legislation to kind of extend um, detention times is going to come in with a range of measures like night courts and yeah. new technology. They always say that when they uh, aren't really sure how they're going to manage it, but uh, new technology is going to be rolled out. To Robo judges get rid of the <laughs> get rid of the uh, Johnny Judge. <laughs> <laughs> God. 
um, yeah, the, to, to kind of deal with the backlog of cases left yeah. over from the Rona that's going to come into force on the 28th of September. And yeah, as I say, it's going to apply to anyone who has been arrested and remanded for an offence deemed serious enough for a Crown Court trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, this could just be a uh, a uh, administrative thing. They've said it's temporary. But at the same time, coming at the same time as all of these, like, these bits where they seem to be testing the limits. I mean, remember when um, Labour were trying to increase the um, uh, amount of detention for terror suspects yeah. and the amount of opposition that that came up? That doesn't even seem like it would happen now. Yeah. Um, that really doesn't. Because there's, there's like a bunch of things that they're pushing at the moment. There's like that. There's um, there's like talk of a curfew and, you know, if there's more than six people out like meeting up, then the police, yeah. the police are allowed to go into your house now. If they suspect yeah. that there's more than six people. I mean, people. That's, and, that's the kind of thing that ties all this together. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a load of stuff in lockdown that is absolutely unprecedented. Yeah, and I, I, I can't see them giving up all of these powers afterwards. Because is, why I, would I, they? Why, why would I they? Don't They'll think... say things like, oh, we'll leave it on the books, but it was never going to get used. And then, you yeah. know, then before you know it, there's been a whole bunch of... Um, Black people it's what happened. It's what targeted. happened in the. Um, it's what happened in the seventies with um, con- uh, conspiracy. The the area of conspiracy two in mm. British law. Yeah. Um, they brought a load like they would never been written off the books, um, but they kind of combined them into. I think they combined common law into statute law. Made a bunch of common laws statute law. Okay. And. Um, that's where a lot of like you know the conspiracy to trespass you know you look like you're going to trespass so it becomes a yeah. a criminal offence yeah um and the thing is i don't think necessarily they they're solidly setting a precedent for absolute kind of control over people's activities i don't think that i don't think they have a like a a solid plan to permanently oh, no, outlaw they're just flinging shit outlaw protest i do think they are allowing for maximum future flexibility on yeah. dissent yeah um like the fucking um, talking about essentially ID, they're like on. Was it they say computerized ID cards? Yeah, ID cards again. Yeah, <laughs> it never it never goes away. Yeah. Oh. oh. And yeah, I I don't know. Like I I think the difference is now is because these law and order issues, these fears, yeah. they're usually stoked around election time. Yeah. because you generate a crisis. Yeah. Uh, I always think of Blair, like, and you, you combine it into like a moral crisis. Law mm. and order is morality. And yeah. The two are the same thing. The law represents your morals that you should you should follow. Yeah. Um, I think particularly of like Tony Blair or, yeah, like in the 70s with Muggers, um, which was a deliberately kind of racialized uh, criminal justice issue that was put forward to magnify the idea that britain was collapsing mm-hmm. and that there was this ever-present threat that needed new laws to crack down on it right yeah um and usually yeah like i say it's usually around the time of a crisis you'll hear particularly conservative voices reactionary voices talking in this way you know when there's a, a crisis but frankly when is there not a crisis mm. <laughs> at this point you know like yeah. i mean they're a constant kind of moral, like that land of hope and glory thing uh-huh. has the characteristics of a moral crisis. Yeah. Like people demanding national moral review, renewal, the identification of both left and liberal enemies of, you know, ethnic enemies as well. Oh, it's, those, you know, it's, um, uh, xenophobic and fucking assholes naming, naming names of um, BBC workers. Yeah. Fucking... Particularly in order to target, to yeah. target things. 
because the other thing that comes along with it is you have a certain amount of non-legal action, which if this were firmly about law and order and not about politics and about power and hegemony, you would think that they would crack down on those people. But usually the worst thing you get is like, oh, of course, I don't condone it. Mm. But you see where they're coming from. Yeah. I mean, you saw with the um, the fucking um, uh, the migrant hotels thing. I think I was originally going to talk about this like the week we were we were going to uh, the week we were going to record before. But mm. um, you had literally gangs of people going around hotels um, looking yeah. for for like banging on doors to see if they house migrants. Not How just, they could tell not, that they were literally migrants and yeah. not just anybody. Not just gangs I don't know, of people, but... but Paul Golding. Like, yeah. If you're going to talk about like a, like someone who is uh, obviously like a domestic terrorist or, you know, member, he's like been a member of, he's a member of, a, he was a founder of a prescribed hate group who yeah. went to prison for that. There did was a story. That, or did he go to prison for fraud? Because they usually go to prison for fraud. I think he went to prison for fraud quite recently. I think Paul Golding was the one who's best mate ran away with their money and his and paul golding's mum and ran away to spain yeah his mum was like the treasurer and they ran away with the party funds there was something in um epping a few weeks ago um yeah. like for britain did this big uh video um pointing out a hotel and like I actually like watched that video mm. um it was on someone called um it was on eddie butler his uh, YouTube channel, Eddie Butler, being the former Nazi. national, the former national elections officer for the BNP. Okay, there we go. Um, and like, it's all this kind of stuff. Like, he like he's outside this hotel. He says, "Ah, oh, they're in this crisis. They're being used to store like illegal immigrants." Again, we don't expect any kind of like justification or rationale for this. Of course, I'm not going to go into all the ways the Nazis were wrong about the particular legal status of these people, because you know they're wrong. Yeah. Because they're not interested in right or wrong in an accuracy in that regard. Mm. Um, but the funny thing was, it was like doing things like he was outside this hotel, which is clearly like a post-war like brick and concrete hotel yeah. with like, I think it's been, it looks like it's been built onto the outside. It looks like the place in Phoenix Nights. Okay, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and he's like reading from a Wikipedia entry about how the hotel dates from the 16th century oh and God. how it's the center of our community. Um, yeah, oh. yeah, because uh, he's the election agent of Julian Leppert, who's a local councillor for for Britain. Like, uh, to give people a little bit of a little bit of information about Epping. And about that mm. bit of London. Was it London? I think it's still technically London. Anyway, so I walk my dog every day and I cross over the North Circular into that bit. Mm. And the difference between Wolf <laughs> Forest and literally <laughs> crossing that motorway is staggering. There's a pub, like, not far off on the other side of the road where they used to have a sign-up that said, if you don't support, support our royal family, don't come in. <laughs> <laughs> And we're talking about a place that's like it is um, less than ten minutes drive away from my flat. <laughs> well, we're just on the border. That's where we're getting out into the bad Essex. Well, yeah, it's the it's the white the flight white flight Essex. Yeah, like the bit like mm. you live now down near Tottenham um, in an area where the people who now live in in Epping they ran away from that bit that you live in because there were too many <laughs> too many strange strange ethnic smells from their kitchens. And so they had to run away to there to wrap themselves in fucking flags. There are so many flagpoles. <laughs> oh, 
Like, what possesses you to build a flagpole in your garden? Patriotism. But, you know, surely there's, like, at some point, it's like when you're digging the hole, when you're filling the concrete, when you've sourced the pole. Where'd you buy a pole? <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's a, it's it's amazing just how much... Like, well, yeah, because, like, Wolf and Forest, like, despite RMP, it's, like, it's probably more left than RMP is. Um... Oh, but you know, yeah, definitely. but then you know, we're a stone throw away from Ian Duncan Smith, and it's it's staggering the difference. It's uh, I hate it. I hate walking through there every day. But there are nice dogs over there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the fascinating thing about this, like after after this guy Julian Leppert said that this hotel, this like mm. obviously sixties and seventies hotel, um, yeah. is an integral part of our local heritage. Um, they describe it as uh, it has an authentic Indian restaurant attached to it called the Nirvana Lounge. That sounds... So it's yep. obviously a posh establishment. Yep. No, that's what he said. He <laughs> said it was a posh establishment. Fantastic. Um, and of course, you know, needless to say, none of this is true. They talked about like a food charity, like a, a food bank that was giving out food to poorer people during COVID. And they said, what you don't know, it's all going to illegal immigrants. Oh, none of it's so. true. No, none of it don't is. feel the need to really go for and rebut it. No, They're they not listening. Yeah. No one listening. I just think what the best thing about it, though, the best thing about this whole episode, right? After all of this kind of patriotic stuff, they're hiding in the bushes outside Epping Hotel and yeah. filming people. Like, as they're going in, they're wearing hoodies. They yeah. have no idea who they are, of course. They research the history of this hotel. It's an integral part of Epping, and I love Epping so much, and we need it. It's such a great community, and it's our community, and we need to protect it. They did not have the research capacity to look up the fact that Epping was fucking Churchill's constituency through the Second World War. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hilarious. Oh. Um, but, yeah, like... Um, these kind of actions are not included in the kind of law and order manifesto because mm-hmm. it's not strictly a, a objective law and order manifesto. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of preparing, if not actually putting things in place, mm-hmm. it's get allowing the kind of the state, the maximum amount of flexibility to kind of, um, do, do something about it. Like, cause in the 20th century, classically, a politician would have used kind of a law and order issue to declare some kind of crusade and offer some deliverance. That's the yeah. electoral kind of boon of, of declaring this kind of thing. Um, but like with all of these law and order issues with Prince Patel talking about all of these things of like, I will not allow anarchy to take over or whatever. There's no, um, there's no deliverance. There's no um, salvation in it. You know, this isn't this isn't like a classic 20th century moral panic in that there's no there's no they don't seem to be offering much in the way of what a world looks like without this bad thing, without these evil people. You know, if anything, it sounds a bit like staving off the inevitable, which, given Extinction Rebellion's kind of main cause, probably is accurate. Yeah. Um, But like also these kind of law and order crusades kind of unite. like conservatives and reactionary tendencies, not so much around kind of actual remedies to solve disorder, but a kind of a moral uprightness, like a, a need to stand firm. Of, and, you know, we're not going to give in. We're going to restore authority. Authority is important. So it like it rather than being negative, it kind of tells you positive things about what kind of people they are, mm-hmm. you know. And let's face it, like 
given what's the way things are going, they're probably going to need it. Yeah. Um, I think there's probably like an ink, at least an inkling among the Tory party that they're going to be completely inadequate post Brexit at governing in a way that kind of squares the circle of the electoral coalition they have. Yeah. Cause they've got to simultaneously retain like this neoliberal system that's been so good to them and that keeps the majority of business on side. And they then have to kind of retain the, the make good on the implicit like Brexit promises they've made to the rump of the kind of the petty bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm the kind of promises they've made to like the red wall, yeah. whether you want to call them working class or, or, or petty bourgeois, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and as the, um, as the kind of the, the winners of Brexit were largely the kind of like the national capitalists, like the, the kind of the Tim Martins, Anthony Bamford's uh, like the guy who runs JCB, who was a big uh, leave supporter, like yeah. the Aaron Banks kind of section of capital, which is profoundly not the majority of capital. No, like the majority of the capitalist class, they represent a, a remarkably small kind of uh, proportion of that. Yeah. But they have this very, very fragile hegemony at the moment over the other fractions of, of capital. It's probably not going to last. Yeah. That said, these people are also profoundly distanced from like the actual continuation of the state. Like I've been thinking of like recently about like you know that kind of like ruling mindset that old kind of patrician class you used to have yeah. that actually might not like were probably on the take were almost certainly capitalists in their own right but also had some kind of grounded interest in the continuation of of state power and I think like you look so, at someone like Rishi Sunak right do you yeah. think that he actually if the state gets really bad he's gonna like go down with the ship. Or, you know, he's going to die on that hill of preserving the UK state. No, he's going to leave politics, go back to his millions without any effect. Um, He's not particularly interested in the fact that his wealth and the kind of capitalist system that sustains it and and grows it actually needs a vast amount of kind of non-economic work. So enforcement, suppression, legal measures. Um, There doesn't seem to be anybody who really is concerned about maintaining if you can call neoliberalism like a civilization, there's nobody who in the, there's not many people in the Tory party who actually seem concerned about preserving that civilization. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I think pretty Patel, like petty authoritarians like her are probably more invested in the continuation of the state and it's kind of, it's, it's coercive power than someone like a Rishi Sunak or even definitely a Boris. Yeah. I mean, you saw like a David Cameron, he just, David Cameron just kind of, and George Osborne, they just retreat into the economic structure of yeah. this country, guaranteed their places. They don't, they don't give a shit about the state, about whether it continues in a viable form. Mm. Um, and in her like incredibly myopic, incredibly um, like savage, barbaric way, Pretty Patel might be the closest person who actually has a vested interest in that. You yeah. know, yeah, like. Um, and like there's like it, it kind of related to that like this it's common that you kind of think of neoliberalism and, and conservative modern conservatism in general as kind of anti-state and it's mm-hmm. like well they're not really they were never really anti-state but definitely now that that kind of rhetoric has ended um there is a <laughs> the only place any kind of change or any reform of the country is going to come from is probably the state because they've neutered everything else they've neutered all the civil society they've neutered the kind of volunteerism kind of big society thing that mm. uh cameron was after and that's why like have you noticed every like couple of weeks you'll hear um 
a very kind of sort of Cummings-esque, Dominic Cummings-esque like headline saying Britain needs a million new farmers because they recognize that like something actually needs to happen the state needs to be reformulated but it's patently obvious that no one is actually going to do anything about that other than the state yeah you know like there's all this kind of they're not actually talking about coercive measures to make a million new farmers or make a million new scientists or make a million new data journalists yeah um but they ultimately are kind of talking about thinning out everything else and like the state forcibly thinning out other options so that they can get the kind of state that they want. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like they're kind of un, they're old conservatives unwilling to recognize that it's like, yeah, your libertarianism is dead. You're not going to reformulate the state. You're not going to get the kind of post Brexit Britain that you want without that kind of thing. And this obviously is more on the enforcement side, mm-hmm. but they're definitely allowing a certain bagginess around the powers they have and they've been let like they've been allowed to because there's nothing there's nothing in their way like there was no there's no outcry from liberal civil society the liberal hegemony or whatever it is about opposing id cards detention times new treason laws um the thing that prescribing prescribing political non-violent political organizations yeah there's nothing that, that cultural power has evaporated the thing that got me was um when the, when they like all the familiar defenders of liberalism um, jumped to defend getting the sun out on time um, mm. and talked about how horrible it was this attack on free speech, I still don't know. Remember there was that guy who went to prison because he had left wing he had um, left wing terror books. Uh, was that so, huh? was that someone who had the anarchist cookbook or something? Well, that's the thing. I still don't know what books he had. He he went he went he was arrested. He had um, extremist left wing literature, and he killed himself in prison. I think um, uh-huh. not long ago. Um, and he was I think he was mentally ill, and he had a very bad time. And I still have no idea what books those were. And where like if you're going to talk about you know what's extreme like what's extremist left wing literature? Well, that's I, the thing. I genuinely like read like you can read things just every day mm-hmm. that that is left-wing books about mm-hmm. like decapitating your political enemies and mm-hmm. i don't properly know what i mean the coming insurrection was pretty you know yeah that little that pdf that went around a few years ago yeah um what? but it's the mm-hmm. figure they never said they never said what it was but i don't remember seeing anyone defend like trying to make sure that that person didn't go to prison that person that you know this arrest was disgusting and trumped up apart from you know people on the left but um it it it's interesting how woolly they're making things so they can get everything they want it it ties into like um covid um rules and lockdown rules that they're like mm. they're delightfully woolly so they can blame you mm. you know i mean so every like everything you do is wrong but also nothing you do is technically wrong yeah it becomes not about the the letter of the law but how it's interpreted in yeah. a moment yeah and that's i mean that's entirely uh protective of police that's protective of you know uh garrisoning so- like garrisoning soldiers yeah um that kind of that kind of like interpretative framework is and i mean ultimately that is kind of the downfall of it because if you see like a government that Eventually, if you see a government that isn't kind of co- like, like that committed to keeping that kind of r- that hallowed rule of law thing, mm-hmm. like I think the advocates, like the kind of 
generally popular, like, like like the kind of average advocates of law and order, like ordinary people. Oh, I hate that word, but I've got no other way of describing it. Um, normies. Let's say normies. Yeah. Um, it, like normie advocates of law and order. I can't see how they look at Boris and regard him as nothing, anything but a grifter and therefore kind of out on the outside of that. Now, whether he's grifting, they feel like he's grifting in their interest or he's not. There's still a disconnect there that's, that has to be squared. Yeah. Hasn't been squared yeah. yet, but you know, there's, there's like a, and if like, re, like we've seen in the last couple of days, um, the Johnson government making sounds about um, just, just breaking the withdrawal agreement for Brexit. Yeah. And a big stink's being made of it. And, you know, there's a usual load of people who go, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, probably right. But at the same time, I don't think you can sustain that for that long, that, no. that dissonance. That said, this is 2020. Cognitive dissonance is very in. Yeah. So <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't fully know how to. Because there's there's just there's actually nothing that could stop the Tory government right now from changing a bunch of these laws, and there wouldn't be there's no levers over it, there's yeah. no control over it. I can't remember what was it. Um, there was a Zoe, was it Zoe Williams? I think did an article about. Um, oh, she the one which she how, said that we need to just let Brexit happen now. Well, just let Brexit happen, and that was like like staggering hypocrisy. But yeah. I found it even more interesting that like a columnist, like somebody who's clued into politics and, and knows how things work, her solution was we should work towards bringing down this government. Now, <laughs> yeah, that's of course. Nowhere does he actually say how that's supposed to happen. Yeah, like this government. Like, what are you? What do you? What do you mean? Yeah. Like, there's never any any. Well, no, no, there is, there is, they, you know, exactly in, what their plan, like, in this. what their plan is. Um, like these, these principal journalists at places like the Guardian, what their plan is to bring in this government down, and that is to make sure that um, that Sam Guimar gets washed and repackaged as a Lib Dem to steal just enough votes to make sure that a Tory gets Grenfell. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm like that because that was like that was this week, and I'm stuck. Oh. Ah, oh. what did what did we say? I think it was either just it must have been in our conservative manifesto episode mm. for the last election, or just afterwards. Yeah. We said, "What's the main theme of this government going to be? It's impunity." Yeah, and that's a perfect fucking example. Yeah. She, that conservative MP, specifically said she would implement any of the findings of the yep. Grenfell report. And she just voted against it. Yeah. And what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. Does she get elected next time? It won't have anything to do with this. Yeah. There's no. this constant disconnect between like, and it, I, I, I know I might be an old-fashioned believer in fucking like rationality or some shit, but that I do not understand how that goes on without severe long-term consequences. Mm -hmm. You know, of of that that same old disconnect. This isn't going to be like the Blairite disconnect because things are bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, people are going. If people get tuned out of politics, they're going to go around hotels banging on the doors asking to see your papers. Yeah. Or asking to see your prep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to see if you're doing the proper thing. Or see if you're singing Land of Hope and Glory with yeah. all the lyrics. <laughs> and that that's where it goes from when you kind of when you kind of bring law into block political opposition, it ceases to be any kind of dialogue or mm. discourse or anything like that. And it becomes a straight up like anything goes. Yeah. You know? Okay, so gonna leave you with a little bit of a giggle we're gonna try and do that more 
especially in the now. The now is horrible. Um, no giggles. <laughs> only crisis. So permanent crisis. I'm a Trotskyist now. <laughs> so that book um, left out the Pogrand, and I've forgotten the name of the other guy. Um, their book all about why the, how the Labour Party lost, and full of insider knowledge, amazing, impeccable sources. Funny anecdote. It's mainly I'm gonna do like a li- like a, I imagine most of the pods are doing like have talked about it and lots of people have talked about it. But I've seen a, little, a few, yeah. I'll give you a little potted, a potted selection of it. So like first off the like the first bit that they serialized in the Times was it? Yeah, I think they did because they both wrote for the Times, yeah. the Sunday Times and the Times. Yeah, but um, like there's, uh, there's... Gabriel Pogrand and Patrick Maguire. That's, that's it. it. Is, yeah. But yeah, the bits that have been serialized so far, um, they like quite a lot of them have been heavily refuted, and some of them have just been proven to be not true. Like there was one about <laughs> um, Jeremy Corbyn's wife, Laura Alvarez. Yeah, yes. um, in like describing her in a way that could only be seen as like kind of racist. Of like this mm. hot blooded Hispanic woman demanding an oat cake, and there's like, but there's videos of it, and then they said like, and the BBC sat on it, or like ITV sat on it. Wonder why? And then like the person at that channel was like, no, it was like part of the pool. Anyone could what? put it on, but no one. Cared. Oh yes, the sterling job to kind of launder Jeremy Corbyn's reputation. Exactly. I must um, have missed that. But there was a couple of bits I just wanted to talk about that were just that are kind of funny. Um, first off, you know, you know how much you can trust them because they love they love Guido. They talk about they like talk about Guido in like kind of glowing terms with even with regards to them when Guido was still pushing. Like they talk about them in a nice way when they were pushing the stuff that Jeremy Corbyn was wearing special glasses because he'd had a stroke. Oh yeah, and they <laughs> and they were like commending them for still pushing it. When it was obviously not that true. was a that was that was the kind of um, that was usually the phase three, wasn't mm-hmm. it, of the Corbyn the Corbyn the traditional Corbyn news cycle? Yeah, which was the first one was uh, he's dangerously left wing, the second one was actually he's not that left wing, and yeah. then the third one was some variant of he's too old, yeah. he's ill, or he's in some way incapable. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some nice stuff um, about. How Starmer's team had to be banned from calling all the other people trots. That's quite interesting. <laughs> you know, we know where Starm, what what they lot, what that lot believe. We knew what they believed before, but it's nice as it as it goes on now. Like I say, nice. It's fucking upsetting to have it really hammered home. <laughs> um, yeah, there's um, there's a lot of stuff in it about how like essentially that the journalists in the election didn't really shape any opinion. <laughs> Like, oh man! You know they just report that the has, truth. That's that's a that's a fucking weird thing of the other cycle, yeah. Which I'm calling the journalist guild justification cycle, yeah. Which is journalism is desperately important. Without journalism, there's basically nothing yeah. in Earth, or uh, there's nothing in objective reality without the reporting of it. Yeah. And the second cycle is actually we don't affect anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, then there's like there was a whole bunch of text messages from Neil Coyle. To um, Jeremy Corbyn. Okay. Um, I heard him described as a, a Corbyn supporter. Yes, because he was one of the ones who nominated him. But you have to do more than to... I know. Like, generally, I, to be yeah. described as a supporter, you have to, you know, support them. Yeah. but um, So, basically, Neil Coyle... And this is the thing that's interesting. That um, it's apparently an open secret that Neil Coyle sends a lot of angry messages when he's had a couple of drinks... 
and mm-hmm. he sends them to politicians and journalists. And it's amazing how that didn't come out when he was being, you know, just a principled traditional Labour MP for Bermondsey, I think. I believe he's for Bermondsey, yeah. Yeah, but the only one that I'm going to read out, and it's just beautiful. Neil Coyle sending to Jeremy Corbyn. The Observer front page is an absolute disgrace. You make me ashamed to have ever tried to work with you. What were you hoping to achieve? And Jeremy Corbyn's response of, sorry for that, I don't recognise the number. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> new, new phone, who dis? <laughs> I love it so much. And then there's just endless abuse. It's just like lots of like, like, um, just demanding that he apologise for things. Astonishing and disastrous result in Sunderland. When will you take responsibility? Um, linking stuff to that um, Piers Corbyn has retweeted, saying, your brother is retweeting a Nazi. Um, <laughs> lots of that kind of stuff, which, you know, oh, God. Um, but then the stuff that's more interesting and really telling about who their sources could possibly be is the way they yeah. talk about um, some of the people in, like, Change UK. For mm-hmm. example, someone that we'll all remember forever and ever and ever, like Gavin Schuker. Um, mm. this. Gavin Shuka's career in Labour politics had started off well. The MP for Luton South, a gangly, fresh-faced former evangelical pastor, pastor with a puckish grin, had appeared destined for the top upon his election to Parliament in 2010. Bullshit. Oh yeah, the idea yeah. that these people, like, so, the idea that all of the people in like Change UK were like amazing, and the, the only people I, still pushing it is like this. No, you can see it. No, right, okay. I I have heard this before, right? Mm. That there's this idea. Because, like, let's face it, they don't actually have any idea of any MP's actual competencies. Yeah. They know who they are, they know where they came from, and they have a rough idea of the narrative that they can spin. And that's all they're really interested in. So that was the, uh, what was the, the uh, shit, what was the military man? Dan? Jarvis. The, Dan Jarvis, right? Mm. You knew exactly what the the story was. And that's why they say, oh, he's a new thing. Uh, Chucker Amuna, you knew exactly what kind of story, what narrative they were going to. It didn't matter about his actual skills, his abilities or his Mm. beliefs. You knew the narrative that they could make out of that. And I guarantee that the whole Gavin Shuker thing, it might have been retrospective because it I'd never heard of him before he joined uh, Change UK. But I guarantee they thought, oh, He's a Christian. He's a bit different. He's got solid morality. Yeah. Therefore, he's blue labour. Yeah. Despite the fact that fucking how many evangelicals have you ever, ever seen other than like... A, he's Tim Farron's evangelical, isn't he? Yeah. And, Shuk- um, and the thing is, at least... Um, like, I guarantee they thought in a blue labour way, in a blue labour way, they thought he was some kind of... Like, evangelicals have that reputation of being the ideological tough guy, yeah. whereas liberals allow themselves to get bullied. So the idea that you have a liberal you know, a Labour Party evangelical yeah. means that finally we've got someone who we've got a big brother in the playground who'll stick up for us when all the nasty right wing people come and get us. Yeah, that makes sense. I guarantee that's why they like soldiers. That's why they like that's why they love that muscular liberalism shit. Yeah. That's why Nick Cohen has a career because he like he likes to sound tough. Yeah. He likes to sound like he wouldn't take any shit. Yeah. You know? There's some some stuff about Ian Austin like vowing to destroy the Labour Party, which you know is always funny because he's in Austin. <laughs> um, I've heard it he's so always often. referred to as a tough guy. Like, oh god. Um, he's another one who's like removed from reality enough that they think he's a tough guy. It's just yeah. he's he's just a ranter. Yeah, that's all he is. But then one of the other big things that was 
like probably one of the bigger things and the thing is with the whole of this book is i can't think of any justification for sitting on a lot of this stuff until they can release a book for any other reason than to harm well to try and harm the labor party and now make some more money um yeah i mean obviously this one that i'm going to talk about now which is ian murray and how Ian Murray was going to be one of the one of the founder members of Change UK, but he chickened out at the last minute. He was there at the rehearsals. Um, there was like a rehearsal playthrough they had, which makes how bafflingly bad that was. If like like it's weird, it's hard to remember like how long ago it was now that Change UK formed <laughs> in like the long long ago. But a you remember year, year and a half ago? Yeah, but when they felt when they formed, and it was possibly one of the most incompetent political things. I've ever seen and they'd had a rehearsal maybe the fact that Ian Murray had pulled out threw them off <laughs> I, I don't know the fact like, that he because was supposed the... to and he's like and they're like all the push around like he's the one who's gonna save um, Scotland for the Labour Party which oh yeah as a member of the war as a member of the Walthamstow Labour Party, I did get a number of um, Stella Creasy emails just after the election. Um, oh, yeah. And one of the one of the most popular kind of, I think it might have been a Zoom event or it might have yeah. been a live event in the pre-Rona times. But one of them was, yeah, how do we save Scotland? Let's ask the only Labour MP left in Scotland. <laughs> yeah. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Um, and no. like the fact that they sat on this went during the deputy, during the leadership election and he was running for deputy leader. Surely it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's important for Labour members to know that one of the one of the people who was up for it was ready to drop, was like I don't was working it. for the party. No, it's, I'll be perfect. I'll it's, be perfectly it's a story. Honest. It's a story that would have would have um would have gained traction then. Look, uh, I grow fucking really tired. I grow. I'm as uh, to be honest. I'm like as tired of the whole loyalty to Labour thing because that was that was another. Um, uh, aspect of the Corbyn news cycle was mm. that he had rebelled and he wasn't loyal to Labour yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. And then you had the thing early on in Corbyn's Corbyn's time of people being struck out of the party because they had said something approving about the Green Party that then yeah. got reversed when with the Alistair Campbell thing talking about uh, voting for the Lib Dems in the European election and him getting drummed out of the party. I'll be honest, like I, I, I just have next to no interest in notions of, of, of loyalty to the Labour Party. The Labour Party well, no. has shown what they are. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what, what happened with Ian Murray was his CLP wanted to get rid of him because they knew what he was doing and the press acted like they were all insane and they worked... Ah, and they yes, worked, that they, is. And that's the thing yeah. that they did. They, they, they sat people... Like, and it couldn't have just been these two guys who knew. There's like loads, yeah. loads of people must have known. Because I refuse to believe that Change UK were that good at keeping anything secret. Early on, they had all the brio of a an announcement um, about means testing bank accounts yeah, exactly. for children. With you know, that. and then the final thing, and like the re- this is the main reason why I, um, I like leafed through this book. I say leaf through it. I scanned through a perfectly legally acquired PDF. Um, is I saw that Mike Gapes for his birthday got a copy of this and he is mentioned once in this whole book Mike Gapes, the avuncular MP for Ilford South, a man with the look of a hatless smurf who had once insisted that the only way he would leave the Labour Party was in a box, believed the leadership's dovish stances on foreign policy were an existential threat to Britain's national security (laughs) that's the only time he's mentioned as an angry warmongering smurf 
I'll be honest, I have never seen anyone so avuncular. Yes, that's a good point. And I just think I just <laughs> think it's, it's, there's so much more that they could cover. Like if you've been listening to the completely true stories of the Gape cast, you'd know there's so yeah. many more interesting stories that they could have about him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like this. This definitely feels like it was left for, because again, they like this kind of narrative construction because that's largely what the media is is about now: the ability yeah. to tell a story that they think will be communicable to yeah. their readers to allow them a simplistic understanding of politics. Mm. That's kind of, I think, that's kind of what they think. And like the release of this book is the idea that they put a capstone on this particular yeah. period yeah. of the, the Labour Party, of British political history. It's done now. Yeah. I mean, it's literally called Left Out. Yeah. That being not said, just Left Out, gonna... but Left, comma, Out. Yeah, they're not, they're, they're, they're not completely done because um, they're building up to blame whatever happens in the Scottish election on Jeremy Corbyn. Um, the way they're oh, yeah. talking about Richard Leonard already, um, you know, like, he was so bad they were still booing. Uh, they was they were still booing him when we came in. Well, no, it's it's even worse than that. that. Jeremy Corbyn was such a bad Labour leader that um, Labour lost Scotland in two thousand fifteen before he even became leader. That's how bad <laughs> a leader he was, and that's and we're going to get that article. He was preemptively. <laughs> it just, I mean, to be honest, like at least it feels like it's at, at least like. There's no excuse now, not that this will stop them, mm-hmm. but there's no excuse now for continually going on about Corbyn. Mm. You know, like for that, for them continually mm. um, tracing some kind of ruinous political event to Jeremy Corbyn personally and politically. Um, it, I'm, it's bullshit. Of course, I know it's going to keep going because yeah. he's he now fulfills a necessary function. Yeah. But it's interesting that, you know, in a, in a in a time when you have a Tory government with almost complete impunity, that even capitalism's B team, the yeah. Labour Party, is so is is so pushed into a particular way of being by actually a very small amount of people that yeah. they cannot even contemplate the idea of anything further left than yeah. Sir Keith Starmer. Well, and, you know, you saw how well that's working out for them. He definitely isn't being blamed for Extinction Rebellion. That was in PMQs a, today. That was um, where he's like, because he, because um, Keir Starmer is beholden to a bunch of um, crusty old anarchists is what Boris said. Yeah, of course, because it's never going to be any different. There no. will never, ever, ever, ever be a Labour leader. And anybody who's trying to like convince themselves that like if we had tony blair reborn mm-hmm. or if we had this the actual tony blair back in mm-hmm. it would be all good because they never said it they absolutely said that about tony blair when he was coming in yeah they absolutely did i was looking through for another thing i was looking through like tony blair speeches yeah from like 1996 1997 mm-hmm. he fucking like absolutely like destroys the Tories. He's very, very aggressive yeah. towards it. Let's, say, let's not say he's destroys, because I don't really want to give that man any kind of positive glow-up, but like, he is incredibly aggressive. He is yeah. incredibly anti-Tory. Not at all the kind of thing you would want from a uniting political <laughs> figure, which is apparently the most important thing in the fucking world in a two-party system <laughs> is to not have any division. Yeah. And yeah, the idea that like they're going to go easy on him or that there can be any rapprochement with the forces of the right in this country. Like 
I don't, I genuinely don't think, I don't think they want to because they've been shown so many times that that's never going to happen. Yeah. And they've been shown so many times that like any, any kind of liberal calling themselves a social Democrat is, is never going to stand. Not, not no. even a little bit. You will be lucky if doing that, you can save the NHS at this point. Yeah. Like keep the NHS as it is now a semi-privatized kind of monolith. Yeah. Like you, there's so much, so many illusions around it, and there's so many just ideas that if they just tweaked it a little bit, they could, they could get it, they could get it right, and it's, it's just not going to happen. No. That's all from us this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamo. Follow you at Tanner Smashing, and we will see you hopefully next week. Bye. about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my